This is actually a topic that I've been interested in. Uh, so I've actually been joyful to finally put it down on paper because uh, I felt like when I first started ministry, I just started scribbling just to think about how do I handle criticism? Because part of growth is you do need to what? Face criticism, yes? And also need to grow from there. So I just start just scribbling things down on a notepad just over time. But I, after a while, I realized, hey, uh, I'm actually, there's so many little scribbles of things that I still have. You know, that I just thought like, oh, I could make this into what? An outline. Because why? I realized just well, marriage, right? By the way, it's not just only marriage. It's what else? It's all of life, right? At work, yes? How many of us, how many of us really like criticism at work? Or when we get criticism at work, it eats us alive even after we come back from work, right? Like, talk to me, right? I know. Even the ministry is not immune from that, okay? So all this is to say I think we need to handle... Um, uh, Criticism biblically. So last time, what we looked at with part one was I just mentioned when we talked about handling of criticism biblically in marriage. Is the first part is actually being slow, uh, not to roll out what uh, the criticism. Does that make sense? Not to right away say, "Oh, I'm not going to listen." Okay, but I actually think we need to go beyond there. So the next stage I actually think is what is our goal when someone gives us criticism? Uh, what is our goal? And I know it's a maybe an awkward way of saying it. But I actually think uh, is I uh, I actually think this last year I've really been thinking about this too. Like uh, when anyone criticizes, when I criticize, what is my goal? Should be what? Should actually if I don't have a goal, then guess what? I don't know what I'm doing when I hear criticism. Then sooner or later, something you say enough things, I'm gonna what? Explode. But if I know I have a goal, that God t- gives me a goal that when, whenever I hear a criticism, no matter if it's legitimate or illegitimate, or from a source I didn't expect, or a criticism that I did not see at all, guess what? My goal is needs to honor God, and what God wants to honor the most is actually for us to say, is there any sin? Is there any legitimacy in any degree what that is? And I think realizing the goal changes everything, okay? So in, um, in establishing the need for the day, when your spouse criticizes you, do you know what your goal should be? If you don't know what your goal is, guess what? Just like anything, if you don't have a goal, if you don't know why you go to Bible study at church, then eventually you'll stop what? Going. If you don't know why we should go to church... Is because of the love of Jesus Christ loves you, and you do it from other other reason, like you, you know some reason is this, some reasons for your kids, some reasons because they have nothing to do. You eventually stop. Same thing when you handle criticism. I don't think we can handle criticism well and biblically unless we understand what is God's ordained goal when we hear criticism. Okay. So today session we will look at three imperatives. That is three commands. Okay. In terms of your goal of how to handle criticism. Okay. So this is going beyond what last uh, month we went. Last month we went about when you hear criticism, hey, slow down. Actually listen to what they're saying. Don't be so quick to defend yourself. You guys kind of remember that last, last month? Um, but after that, it's not just to say, okay, now it's the next part is to actually move on and say, okay, when you hear criticism, you have to focus on a goal. Okay? So these are three points. Number one, uh, what's point number one? Anyone want to read the outline so I can catch my breath and drink water and stretch my back? Make it. Maybe your goal is to find out if you have sin. Yeah, so that's point number one. Point number two. Beware of the symptoms of avoiding criticism. Okay, thank you. And number three, you must pray about the criticism. Okay? Um, all of this, I think, is all related to the goal of actually saying, is there legitimate problems and challenges that I have? That the criticism is legitimate, okay? So in light of this, let's look at our first point. Make it your goal to find out if you have sin, okay? Uh, make it your goal. And really, um, to support this, there's really two points that I want to establish. Why is it it is our goal that when you hear someone criticize about us, 
we should make it our goal to say we have sin. By the way, we live in a day and age that sometimes, um, sometimes I get kind of cynical sometimes with social media in the sense that, you know, like, you could be your own hero. You could do things so wrong, and then you put your version of things that people what? Click like, right? Let's just say someone, you know, you are very ungodly to your spouse. You're very mean. And then Pastor Jimmy comes along and say, hey, uh, I don't think that was really nice how you spoke to your wife. Then you go online and you say what? Oh, haters, right? Oh, the church are a bunch of what? Hypocrites, you know? Oh, oh, these guys don't know my circumstance. And people click what? Like and click heart, right? Um, and that's crazy, okay? So I think the first goal is to realize, actually, if someone do bring criticism, if someone do point out your fault, I think our goal is to say, our first goal, really our goal of all of it is to say, is it true? Is there really issue of sin, okay? Uh, I support this with two points. Uh, point number one is you should hear criticism and find out you sin because sin is very serious, okay? Because sin is very serious, what do we do? We want to deal with it very seriously. So whenever anyone criticizes you, I think this is something I feel God's been working my own life. And I think in the witnesses of you guys that live with me, not live with me, but like, you know, over the years, is uh, I hope I've grown in handling criticism. Uh, I have hope I've grown in handling it and considering it and even uh, biblically managing the pain properly, okay? Because uh, you should hear criticism and find out uh, because sin is very what? Serious, okay? Uh, so three points of how serious that is. Reason number one uh, is our sin makes us deserve God's wrath, okay? Uh, so this Gospel 101 reminder that what? Sin invites God's wrath upon us, okay? Let's turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Can I have a happy motivated... Happy Motivated Reader, read me Romans 1.18. Again, we're looking at to say why we need to consider our goal that we, when we hear criticism, we should ask ourselves a question. Did I really sin? It's because, why? It's because sin is serious, and our sin makes us deserve God's wrath. Um, uh, could I have you read, uh, Oscar? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Yeah, notice this verse reveals very clearly the reality of God's wrath, right? And what is God's wrath against? Against all unrighteousness, right? All sin. We deserve God's wrath. Hey, could you, Hannah, could you calm down? Okay. So in light of this, if anyone brings up the idea of sin, guess what happened? You need to take that seriously, right? By the way, uh, bringing this up, you guys ever heard of swatting? Like uh, people that play video games, have you guys heard of this? You read it on Wikipedia? Like when you play, you know, sometimes people play video games, they hate each other, so then they really despise the other person, so then they call, what you can feel it. They call the police and say what? Hey, there's in this address, like someone that they don't like. Hey, there's in this address, uh, there's a whole bunch of people got killed. It's a, you know, what is it called? A mass shooting incident. And what do they do? Do the police just happen to roll by and like, ah, la, 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 and knock on the door? What do they do? No, they send the SWAT team. They send the SWAT right? Now, I'm freeing them to say, not to say the SWATing is okay, but because what? Lives is that serious, right? That people would have to respond very slowly in that way, okay? Uh, very slow. One of the news I read was uh, they did this SWATing thing against someone playing video game, and they spent five hours because the whole time they're like, open the door, and then they realize no one was in there, okay? No one's in there. But why were they so cautious? Because why? It's because lives matter, okay? I bring this to say is this. If someone were to say, hey, you have sin, and sin makes us deserve the wrath of God, how should we treat any time anyone point out sin? 
should be we need to take it very seriously. And we need to ask the question, wait, is there really sin on my part? Knowing from even last time, we said that sometimes our sinfulness, we also self-deceive ourselves by our self-righteousness, saying, hey, we're not as sinful or as bad as we are, okay? So n- reason number two is uh, why we should make it our goal to find out we sin because sin is so serious, is the way of a sinner is also hard, okay? Uh, if someone could read me Proverbs 13, verse 15. Particularly if someone has an NKJV. I like the NKJV uh, way of saying things for this one. Uh, Proverbs uh, 13, verse 15. Uh, my outline is in NASB. But if NKJV, I like it most. Okay, yeah. The way of who is hard? What does the version say? The way of a... The unfaithful, okay? Uh, that is the way of the ungodly, okay? The way of a sinner is hard. Say this after me. The way of a sinner is hard, okay? And we're not talking about hell and the future, eternity, all that. Is there a consequence right now if we act ungodly? Yeah. The way of life is what? It will be very difficult, okay? Uh, and third reason is this. If Christ really died for our sins, why should we continue sinning And when sin is the very thing that put Christ to the what? cross? Does that make sense? So in light of all this, I think this is where it should make us, knowing how serious sin is, whatever anyone say, even if it turns out later to be illegitimate, you want to go what? You want to be like what? The officers, deploying like the SWAT team, right? Going slow, knowing, hey, not dismissing right away, and saying, hey, I really need to consider, is there really a threat to my soul and my walk with God? Even if you're safe, uh, your soul is okay, is safe. Even with that, why would I want to hinder my relationship with God knowing how bad sin is, okay? And also, biblically, also speaking, uh, you should hear criticism to find out if you sin because Scripture actually tells believers to correct those in sin. Do you guys realize that? you guys realize there's parts in the Bible that actually tells us that if you know a brother or sister's in sin, you don't go gossip about them. You don't gossip about them, but what should you do? You should go what? Talk to them, okay? Any verses you guys could think of? There's so many. Okay, any any of those verses you guys could think of? Matthew 18, right? The church discipline one, right? Uh, but another one, if you guys could turn with me, is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. When we turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.14, uh, could I have a happy motivated reader read that verse? Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this, right? Paul's pretty nuanced, okay? By the way, um, ministry is not a hammer, one size fit all, okay? Every time you see anyone uh, that's not right, you always, what, admonish, right? Because notice the nuance here, okay? Like for those that are faint-hearted, what do you do? Do you re- uh, rebuke them? No, you, what, encourage them. What about those that are weak? That is, they know what's the right thing to do, but they, they, keep, they have a hard time doing it. What do you do? You help them, right? And with everyone, you got to be what? Patient, okay? With everyone, you got to be patient. And with those that are unruly, those that do not want to change, what do you do? You admonish, right? You do confront and point out, hey, brother or sister, I'm, I love you, but I need to say 
that you do have this as an issue. Does that make sense? Okay. Another one is Hebrews 3.13. Hebrews 3.13. It says, But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay. Uh, I know last week we talked, uh, last month we talked about even Joshua Harris, right? You guys remember that? Left his wife. Now, I'm pretty sure when he first began, his first day of marriage, if you tell him you're going to leave your wife, he said, whoa, I can't picture that. Well, I really hope not. It will be grieving. No one gets to there, right? It takes a thousand hardening of the heart of sin lying to us, okay? So in light of this, I think sometimes the most dangerous thing with temptation is, is, yes, is we sin. But the other thing I think we sometimes forget about is every temptation comes with a lie. Do you guys realize that? Every temptation comes with a lie. You think about sexual temptation? It says that, okay, you could fool around and there'll be no consequences medically or spiritually or relationally, right? You could think of, for instance, I don't know what else, um, any temptation, uh, you know, quick get rich scheme, right? You don't see the reality. You're going to be what? The likelihood of you being what? Lied is very high because what? Your greed covers that. Sanitize it, airbrush it, okay? So every temptation comes with a lie. So I think it's important to realize that. So we need to face criticism with this, okay? And by the way, I think in light of reality is this. Um, all of us want to have a good marriage, godly marriage. Yes? Yes? I, I hope we do, right? Okay. Um, I know we're all very young still. I think relatively young. But what I hope would not happen, because to me it is very heartbreaking, is when you do have to talk to someone that's mid, uh, midlife crisis, don't want to be with their marriage anymore. They say their husband and wife body change. They don't want anything to do with them. They, they have their bad attitude and it doesn't change. And what's the point of even being in marriage anyways? Maybe they don't leave, but then they just make the marriage a terrible place and leave a bad impact for their kids of seeing what supposed Christianity is. And then has to come along, a younger pastor comes over to your kid and say, why would you not trust in Christ? And they say, the example of Christianity I see is my dad. And my dad is not the man you think he is at church. So I think in light of this, in light of how serious the consequence is, especially when we look at our young ones, and also the fact of our relationship, right? Uh, I think we need to actually see, when we hear criticism, we need to take it seriously, okay? Um, as an analogy, I know um, recently I just, uh, by the way, for fun, since ever Jen got me this Fitbit, what I do for fun, oh, do, It's okay. You probably bit hard. So one of the things I've been doing for fit, uh, recently in terms of walk is I've been actually uh, walking and reading because I feel like uh, if I just walk, I feel like oh, I could do something else. If I just read, I feel like oh, I'm just you know slobbing away, uh, you know, just sitting and gaining weight. So when I'm both, okay. And one of the things I, I do for fun when I walk is actually I read history books, something non theology really. And I just actually finished this really crazy book on the Battle of uh, Midway. Okay, this like I just went online. I just asked a question on Reddit. What's the best book on Midway? And all these like weird military nerds came. I was like, whoa, this is really the best book. I've never seen a, a book that ever went even to say, hey, what kind of radios do they have in the range and how that impact whether or not the radio, uh, their battle contribution of who win and who loses. I mean, that's a little too nerdy for me. Okay, uh, but in reading all this, I was just discovering that wow, Midway. If you guys know anything, that's a turning point. If six months after, uh, what do you call that? 
uh, Pearl Harbor. In fact, this, this fall, there's like two movies about Midway coming out, okay? So I'm excited for that. But then I'm also excited to go and look and say, okay, this is a part where it's not accurate, okay? But here, it, the fascinating thing I discovered about that was like, wow, I think I'm so used to thinking about America as always very strong in terms of Navy. But the reality back then, the strongest Navy at that time was actually Japan. But in six months, the United States won. And I think the big part, the reason why, it's not because of, uh, of luck. I think there is that. But I think the big part was America got what? What, ha- what happened in uh, December 7, 1941? Well, they didn't just get, they got pissed upon, right? They, what happened to it? What happened? To, they got bombed, right? And what, was it pretty humiliating? Yeah, a lot of heads roll in terms of admirals getting their job fired. And suddenly the United States realized we're losing everywhere, right? And people are dying everywhere. And how do you think the leaders eventually, do, do you think they're at the point that, oh, let's going to sanitize everything just to sound good? Or they're going to be like, okay, we, our goal is need to win, and we need to face some real hard truth, including saying, hey, where are we wrong, where I'm wrong. What do you guys think happened? That's what happened. Whereas the Japanese had victory disease. For six months, they're, everywhere they went, they just took over. Like, you know, just bomb. It was to the point that they ran out of targets. They were even bombing just British, uh, what do you call those, um, liners, what do you call those uh, cruise ships. Like, you know, just regular, because they had nothing else to bomb. They were like, hey, we have nothing else to do. And we just have all these planes. So then they, what, play war games? And they're like, okay. And then even the guys that play the opponents, like, oh, they sink their carriers. Like, oh, it can't happen in real life. The Americans can't do that. So then they lied to themselves. Guess what happened? Then they came, and then the day came to fight. And guess what happened? Because of the fact of all thousands of moments where they say, oh, I don't need to hear criticism. Where everyone say, yeah, I know you won, but I think this is still weak. No, no, who are you? I know what I'm doing. I'm the winner of Pearl Harbor. And guess what happened? The very pilots, the very commanders that won six months later would be what? Bombed, defeated, and even be killed. Because why? Because the folly of thinking, I don't need to hear criticism. Because who are you, right? So in the same way, I think we need to realize, because marriage is so important, we need to realize just because one year our marriage is wonderful doesn't mean that with new challenges, we might have to do something different in terms of what we think is right. So we need to face criticism uh, as a habit, okay? If you, as application, if you haven't made it a habit to hear criticism, I think, think the goal for us is right away, and be very honest about your sin, okay? Be very honest, okay? By the way, you could even start tonight saying, go back home and say, what are the criticism I've heard in the last six months? It's kind of hard to write it down, but once you write it down, I could assure you, you will start flowing of thinking even more things that you can even add to that list, okay? Um, but I think that's a good habit to realize it. And realize, I think we're motivated because we know that God will what? Change us, okay? Uh, I think one of the, uh, one of the verse we should never forget that is so true that we often look down uh, or forget about. It's First John 1, 9. says that what? If we sin, we confess with our mouth and what happened? He's faithful. He will what? Cleanse us. That is, forgives us. And you know what's the second part? I mean, uh, forgives us and cleanse us. You know what cleanse means? That means He changes us. I actually think the golden key for actual true change is actually confessing to God. Okay? Confessing, the more you regularly confess to God, the more you actually are able to hear criticism. In fact, nowadays, I think whenever people bring criticism or say, Hey, Jimmy, I think you could do this or that better. Or, I think, Jimmy, you're wrong here. I'm actually more prone to slow down to hear because I know my own track record where I am wrong. Okay, uh, with that, or I'm trying to force myself to remember the, those times. Okay, uh, also application question, uh, uh, application point. I mean, um, do you realize from all the verses we looked at, we do have an obligation to change? You guys realize that? But the first step of God's grace is sometimes we don't see it's God's grace, 
But sometimes the means of God's grace, the ordinary means of God's grace for us to change is a brother or sister or your wife or your husband pointing out, hey, there is something ungodly, okay? Or there's something wrong. Let's go to point number two. Point number two is this. What's point number two? You guys want to read that out loud? Okay. Yeah, we're so good at deflecting, okay? We are so good at deflecting criticism. Not addressing it, but deflecting it, okay? Um, but often when we deflect it, by the way, uh, in order to handle criticism, it requires what? Humility, yes? It requires humility. But the opposite of it, and when we don't handle, when we don't even consider criticism, when we even avoid or deflect it, is often driven by what? The opposite of humility, which is what? Pride, okay? So let's look at some verses and what it says about pride, okay? Uh, could a volunteer read me Proverbs 11, verse 2? Oh, actually, uh, uh, Edward, could you read that? N- nothing implied with that, just reading, okay? Proverbs 11, 2. Yeah, so you see that pride comes with what? Disgrace, okay? Uh, let's also look at Proverbs 16, verse 18. Uh, Proverbs 16, verses 18. Uh, Victor, would you be able to read that for us? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Yeah, okay. Uh, remember earlier I mentioned about the example of D-Day? By the way, because of that battle, all their carriers were sank, and they were never able to repair that, right? And therefore, they lost the whole war. You think about the Japanese. They were really good at one point. They almost conquered all of China, okay? At one point, and a lot of part of Asia. But here is so true. Before destruction comes what? Pride, okay? You don't want to go down that road. Because after pride is destruction, okay? Proverbs 18.12. Proverbs 18.12. Uh, I'll read this. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. But humility goes before honor, okay? Same principle as Proverbs 16.18. And Proverbs 29.23. A man's pride will bring him low. But a humble spirit will obtain honor, okay? So we see a, co- a comparison contrast, okay? Uh, between humility and what? Uh, pride. Humility would welcome criticism, okay? But yet in the end, I think it will lift us up. We will be honored, and God is also honored and glorified through that, okay? So in terms of uh, application, we need to be, therefore, beware of the symptom of avoiding criticism, okay? That is deflecting criticism. Consider the ways people can avoid criticism. By the way, I'm going to read a list of ten. And I'm sure there's more than one way, okay? More than ten. So even when I share, I want you guys to also add anything I don't uh, mention, okay? Uh, Ways people avoid criticism include what? Silence, yes? This is where someone says, Hey, you're wrong here. Hey, you really hurt my feelings. Or, hey, you, you just swear. That is not good. And then you just don't say anything. Secondly, it's shouting or what? Outbursts. Obviously, the out, the opposite of silent, but still the same what kind of action of deflecting criticism. Third is what leaving, right? This is where the spouse points out something, and then the spouse what walks away, get in the car, okay, or go to another room. Point number four: pointing out the other person's mistake and sin. This is where you say like, "Oh, you know what? You said you're gonna do the dishes, honey." Well, then you too, you say you're going to move the car, but you never move the car, right? So, whoa, that's interesting, right? Or you're pointing, or you're focusing on the other person's tone or matter of how they criticize you, right? Or the other person comes over and say, Honey, um, I think you could have been more gentle in how we talk to our kid. 
And then you're like, what? I don't like the tone you even bringing this up to me right now. This is very hurtful. And then all of a sudden, what? Switch of to topic, okay? Point number six of way people avoid uh, deflecting criticism, pointing out the other person's mistake and sin, right? Uh, kind of what we mentioned. Oh, actually, I repeated that from number four, okay? Uh, point number seven, pointing out the person is weaker in the same area that he or she is criticizing you. Let's just say, the spouse goes to them and say, you know what? Um, you could work on being more gentle. And they say, well, I'm more gentle than you, right? And then now is the argument of who is what? More gentle. And then doesn't deal with the first issue that was at hand, okay? Um, number eight, passive-aggressive attitude, okay? Passive-aggressive attitude. Now, can I be honest? Uh, I think I... The word passive-aggressive to me is kind of new. Does that sound weird? Um, I think Pastor Andrew and also Jin was the one that pointed to me that I think I dealt with a lot of passive-aggressive things and I don't notice it until what? Uh, until I don't love like that person anymore. Then I notice it. But before I love them, like anything I, they can say crazy stuff, I don't. But passive-aggressive, right? Where we could do like, okay, uh, you know, uh, treating the other person in, in a passive-aggressive way is what? Is one way of... Of handling criticism. Number nine, sometimes people can use the line, I'm hurt or I'm offended. What? Not because they're really hurt or offended, but it's really what? Uh, a shield, yes? From criticism. Okay? Number ten, they're caught up with their emotions or feeling first before truth, okay? Where you point out this and then they say, well, I feel that's not the case. They're not telling you about whether or not it's objective or truth, but this is how I feel, this is how I look at it, where it ends up being so subjective, okay? So I want to talk at least, there are times also as well, where people are truly, they're not bringing up, I'm hurt, because, you know, um, because they're trying to use it as a ploy. They're lying to you. But I also think sometimes people could, what, generally be so focused on their feelings that it actually takes away handling criticism well, okay? Uh, there are times, Rebecca, Abigail, Hannah, she's quite down, okay? Uh, it's okay, the baby's okay. It's just our daughters. Okay. Okay. No, that's cute. It's okay. No, that's all right. Um, this is but this is real ministry. Okay. So let's go back on. Um, sometimes there, there are times we are truly focused on our hurt feelings, and we are not making it up to cover sin. Yet the focus on hurt feeling can hinder our response to criticism, and we can give bad reaction to criticism. Okay. This is what often happens, isn't it? In sometimes in marriage problem, is the other person say, "Oh, you know, I notice you're not really as gracious." Then it's like, "Hey, my feelings hurt." Then now the topics change about, "Oh, your feelings hurt. How can I not hurt your feelings?" Well, you, it, then all of a sudden, guess what, what happened? It also makes the other person what? Very reluctant to bring up legitimate area of what concern. So then that person builds up, and then what happened? Then they build up when they do sin. And then now you see how it becomes easily a perpetual, really bad, cyclical uh, uh, problem here, okay? So in light of this, uh, I think, uh, I actually think uh, sometimes when we deal with criticism, uh, we have to force ourselves to put our emotions secondary, okay? Can I say this? It is not easy. Uh, it is not easy. Um, I actually feel it's easier with my marriage to do this. I actually have a harder time with what? Ministering to difficult people We're putting my emotions first I'm just being very honest, okay? But I realize I, I need to be uh, Need to lovingly and obey the Lord in this area, okay? By putting our emotions secondary, okay? This focus on feeling Because really could distract us from Legitimate criticism 
And therefore the cycle repeats, like I said earlier. Um, therefore, like I think it's, said, it's wise to even sometimes say, instead of bringing about your hurt feeling, to actually deal with what's the criticism first, okay? Um, so it, my wife and I, we were just talking about it before you guys came here. I asked her, how do we handle criticism? Um, and I think both of us, when we do hear something that's wrong, we actually don't say we're hurt first. Even though I think it is very hurtful. Because I think part of it is hearing it, working with one issue at a time, I think is very helpful. And I also feel like sometimes even when I'm hurt, if I focus on the matter, sometimes a little bit later, a few hours later, or even a whole day later, suddenly my pain is put in perspective. Does that make sense? Where it's not a big deal and I'm glad, oh, I didn't focus on that. Otherwise, that would have been an unfair fight or a poison my relationship with my wife or poison in how I view my wife even when I don't say it and she picks up the cues that something's not right, okay? So in light of this, as applica- uh, um, you know, as an analogy, we need to handle, we need to not avoid criticism, okay? By the way, sometimes even if the person says it in not a good tone, in not so nice way, I think it's okay to still consider the bad criticism. Any of you guys play sports in high school? Any of you guys uh, had a... Rebecca, you're yeah. not even high school yet, okay? Yeah. Okay. Any of you guys had a coach that yelled and screamed? Yes. yes. Okay. No? Yes. I know there was this one coach, he always liked screaming, Hey, you turkeys, okay? Uh, but then the people getting yelled at, they usually just chuckle, okay? Do. By the way, you guys ever see uh, basketball games, right? Basketball games. Or football games, where the coach gets really mad, and they're yelling at his player. And the player's just standing there, right, receiving it, right? Um, I remember as a little kid, watching the Olympics, like the swimmer, I'd always see the coach. You look at the coach and you look at the swimmer. And I'm thinking, why would the swimmer listen to the coach? The swimmer looks like he could really do it. He should be teaching the coach something, right? But then, no, it's the other way around. Even at times, the coach is even also, what, uh, correcting them. You can see from, you can't see the audio or whatever, but you can see the visually, like they're correcting them. And they're receiving a, a tongue lashing, okay? But why don't they get mad sometimes? Or they do get mad, but they what? Take it. Why? Because those athletes are focused on what? The goal. And what is the goal? Is to what? It's to win. The goal is to win, okay? Uh, by the way, just because you do something well doesn't mean you're always a good teacher. Okay? So that's why sometimes you look at coach. Actually, I think people that do naturally things well are the worst of teacher. I remember in seminary when John MacArthur taught, taught us about leadership. You know what he said? You know, here, here's a guy who's always been like, you know, was that captain of the football team? And, you know, all these, uh, you know, all these other things. So when he taught leadership, he just say, oh, you'll get it. You'll, it's easy. It's, you know, versus another professor. Nah, I'm not naturally. But wow, he connects the dot from uh, Joe Smuckatelli, who's not a leader, to how do you actually become a leader, right? Because sometimes it takes us, and I think sometimes we realize, sometimes if God gives us a weakness, it's so that we actually consider, how do we actually change? How do we actually get there? So that when someone comes over, you won't just say, oh, you know what, it'll come naturally to you. Hey, what's wrong with you? You can do it, right? I mean, anyone can say that, okay? But then when you actually walk through that, then you say, okay, this is how we actually, I know where you're at. You don't have to say it, I know where you're at, but this is how you go from point A to point B, okay? So in the same way, we, can't, we should not avoid criticism. And as application, I think it's very important to say we should. Uh, we should not deflect that. But we need it for change, okay? We need it for change. Um, I think my year of marriage, uh, this is my happiest year. 
Uh, I thought last year was happiest year, but it turns out this year is my happiest year on our ninth year, okay? But I think it's only possible when we actually really realize that if my wife says I do something wrong, I really need to what? Internalize it and go to God with it and also change if it's real, okay? Uh, next month, we'll talk about how to consider when it's false, when it's a- inaccurate, or when you're not sure, or when the criticism is true, okay? We'll consider that next, uh, next month. But then we need to talk about this month the goal first before we talk about how to deal with the outcomes of whether or not the criticism is legitimate, okay? So the third point we might want to go to is, I think before anything else, before you focus on change, I actually think if we're about grace, we must, the first thing we must always do with every criticism is we must pray, okay? We must pray. So let's go to point number three now. You must pray about the what? Criticism, okay? Let's turn to Psalm 139. Turn on Psalm 139. Verses 23 to 24. Could I have a happy motivated reader? Read me uh, verses 23 to 24. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Sophie. Notice this verse. This is actually a prayer to God, okay? I love Psalm 139. You see actually different of God's uh, omni-attribute, like omnipresent, being all-present, uh, omniscient, all-knowing, that kind of thing, okay? Uh, all-powerful, etc. is in here. But in, um, this is really a prayer, and it's a prayer to God. And the prayer is to God to what? If you summarize in one word, I would say one sentence, is prayer to God to search our heart, okay? To say, hey, God, Show me what's really my heart. Help me not lie to myself. Show me for who I really am. Okay? But notice it also says, it doesn't just say, see if there's any hurtful way in me, which include, would include sin. But notice it also is prayer for God to change us. Okay? This is where I am a Calvinist. I do believe God can change us. We really do have will. We're real human beings. We really are not robots. Okay? We really exist. But at the same time, God could also work through that to change us from our heart inside out. Notice it says in the end of the verse, of verse 24, and lead me in the what? Everlasting way. That is, praying to God to actually change you, okay? So in light of, I think this verse gives us just a little window that when in terms of dealing with criticism, this is a man that's like actively seeking criticism. This is the man who goes to God and say, God, search my heart, show me my faults, but also lead me in the right way, okay? So as application, whenever you face criticism, when you go back home, you're thinking about it on your drive back, don't just put on a Taylor Swift song right away. But the first thing you, you should do is what? Pray to see if the criticism is true, okay? Pray to God to see the criticism is true. I think sometimes we need that silence, okay? We live in a day and age where we think everything needs to always be what? Okay, if... Silence is boring. I don't know what to do. I need to have the radio on. I need to have music on. I need to have, I don't know, an audio book on. I need to have a radio TV show on or whatever. TV shows, whatever. Music video, whatever's on, okay? But I think sometimes that silence is golden. God uses that. Take that time to what? Pray to God. Say, Lord God, is this true? Why do we pray for that? Because the goal of every criticism is to say, is this true, okay? Point number two. 
as application, pray to the Lord about your pain from your criticism and your hurt feelings, okay? Remember earlier I said about, like, don't put, when you face criticism, the first thing you shouldn't tell your wife is like, oh, wow, you hurt my feelings. Because why? Now all of a sudden that person gets defensive, and now the topic has changed. And now even if that person loves you and now wants to not hurt you, then now it focuses on that emotion rather than the subject at hand. Or if the person is easily angered, then boom, explosion, right? So when I say don't put feelings fir uh, first and put it second, I don't mean don't, emotion is not important. I think it is important. But you take it first to God, okay? You take it first to God. Because um, sometimes the first thing that comes out is what? Could be, it, it might be just at the moment where you don't, when you're tunnel visioning. Emotionally, okay? So the first thing is go to God to pray is it true. But second thing is pray to God about your hurt feelings. Say, Lord God, man, this is really what? Painful. Man, this is really, if it's true, boy, this is, this is kind of embarrassing. This is kind of humiliating, okay? So go to God with that, okay? Uh, go to God. I think, by the way, that's very different than going to a human being and say, man, you know, go to the bar, drink with somebody, another guy, and just say, man, my wife is not nice to me. Then that's gossiping. That's very different than if you go to God. You guys realize that? God also works in your conscience and the Word of God to take you, lead you to the right place and also to put things in the right path, okay? So go to God, okay? Uh, go to God. Uh, point number three, uh, I already mentioned earlier, like go to God, right? Point number four, it is also important we go to God with our pain first, okay? Not others first. Go to God first. Not even to tell the other person, hey, I can't, you know... Um, you know, sometimes I, as a pastor, I feel it's also very hard. Um, Andrew tells me all the time, like, man, I don't miss doing ministry in America. But people get so easily hurt. I go to China. Oh, this is editing. I go over there, and I see him, like, I can't believe, I cannot believe how many people go with so much messed up problem, and they tell Andrew everything over there. Almost to the point, it's like, Andrew's like, almost like, it's getting a little TMI, okay? It's a little too much. But you know what? You're wrong. You know, you're really, really wrong. You got to cut it out. That's pathetic. You're a loser. I was like, whoa. It's like, Andrew, I never heard you call anyone loser in America. It's like, hey, but you can't, Jim. You can't go home and say, call that, right? But here you can. And he smiles. Right? It's like, oh, whoa. Okay? It's like, whoa. Um, but then I realized, hey, that's how the other pastors are, too. It's like, whoa, this is a different culture, okay? Uh, so here we see, um, with this, okay? Uh, I think it's very, very important. It is very, very important. That we go to God first, okay? With our emotions. Um, rather than sometimes even telling the other person right away. Because for me, I know it is very frustrating sometimes. When I say, hey, brother, this is wrong. And then the person, the next thing they say is, I don't like your tone. It's like, well, you know, this is actually a bigger issue. If you tell most people, they should say, I really did have a wrong tone for whatever reason. Or I didn't, I said, said it too long. More, that word, when you like, whatever else. So trivial point, whatever else it is. Everyone else would say, this is a bigger issue, right? Your problem with your wife is a bigger issue than right now of how I whispered to you in a way that you didn't really like as much, okay? So in light of this, go to God, okay? Go to God with the pain, okay? Um, Pastor Joe Beakey also even suggests praying with your critic, okay? Um, even praying with your critic. How much more if that's your spouse, okay? How much more is it, oh, yeah, you know, like, honey, you're right. You point this out. You know, you, you do have a right to tell me this. You do have a right, but man, I don't know if I could even change. I know I could, I, I'm supposed to be able to change, but could we just pray together, right? That's, by the way, is that very likely to invite more argument or less argument? 
if done with the right attitude, not like a, a way of deflecting. I think that changes the tone, even handling criticism, okay? Also, another point, if it turns out you are wrong, confess to God and experience His grace, okay? I do feel sometimes when we hear criticism, it's very hard. It's like, man, how could I face those people that have the criticism? Or I imagine how many other people that knows about my flaws, and I didn't see it, but they saw it. But they think it, but somehow they were too polite to not say it to me. Oh, man, this is so... Oh, I'm not going to go to TCAC anymore. Or whatever, you know, CBC, LA, or EVG, or whatever, whatever, ABCDFGHIKLMLP, okay? Alphabet soup, okay? So no matter what happens with all of this, guess what happened? In light of all this, I think if you go to God and confess it first, I think it frees us from the fear of man, okay? It frees us from the fear of man. Because you take it to God, you are forgiven. And you know God is working and changing in you. So in light of all this, I think today, these three points is very important, okay? These three points is very important, okay? And by the way, if this, this is really the case, if this is really what you practice, that you make it a goal to find out if you have sin, if you're aware of symptoms of avoiding criticism, and you pray about your criticism, I also think eventually it will probably flow into the fact that you'll be probably proactive. You're not waiting to be hurt. And then ask whether or not the criticism is true. But when you are not even emotionally hurt, you ask the question to your spouse, is there anything I need to change? Is there anything that I've done recently that is not right? Is there anything that how I treat you is that you want differently? That's not a preference issue of preference, but it's an issue that's biblical issue matter. Does that make sense? So I think that's very, very important. Um, if you do it that way, I think that's very different than you're just living through life and you just get hit blind spotted. Like, boom, I didn't see that coming, okay? Uh, but even if you do, if you're regularly, actively saying, what are my areas of struggle? And Lord God, help me. I think that's, even when the criticism does come up, you'll handle it so much more better than it is, okay? And God's grace is what makes us able to handle criticism, okay? God's grace. Because you know God gives grace not only to save us, but also to change us to make us as new creation and creatures, okay?